Good morning, Journey Church. You guys look great for a holiday weekend. Everybody up and at it, and uh, maybe the sun got you up this morning. I'm so glad to see everybody who is here and everybody online. I can't see you, but I'm glad you're joining us. I know we have a lot of people traveling uh, first free, people feeling free to get out of town, uh, but we're really glad you joined us today, however you are here. Uh, so we're beginning a new series today uh, called Gender, which is a little bit different for us, but uh, there are several reasons, and, I'll, and as we go through this, I'll explain kind of why I'm sharing this, um, because I think it's relevant in our world today, and it's, uh, we need to speak out on it. If the church doesn't speak and give clarity, then who exactly is going to do that? And so that's why we're taking some time and doing it in this series. You know, several years ago, there was a minister named Paul who worked for a church planning organization. Uh, he wrote an editorial for a well-known Christian publication, uh, his father, his brother, several family members were in ministry as well. And he was near my age. He may be a little bit older than me. And, and so I kind of enjoyed hearing him. Uh, he thought very differently than I, a different side of the brain probably. Um, but I enjoyed hearing his message and, uh, and really, really enjoyed being around him. Uh, today, Paul is Paula. He's separated from his wife. He lives in Colorado where he preaches at a church called the Left Hand Church. He does TED Talks about transitioning from a man to a woman. He travels all over the country advocating for transgender rights. Now, as you can imagine, he is pretty controversial and very critical of his past colleagues, most of which who do not agree with his transition. And so today, I want to be talking a little bit about that, one of the most controversial cultural topics in our world today the topic of gender. I'm not the guy who seeks controversy all the time, uh, but I'm sure it's going to come. And in fact, I've already had a little bit of pushback and there will be more. So I would encourage you, if somebody says something about me, about Journey Church, I would encourage you to show grace, uh, share truth, but show grace because that's how we're supposed to respond to people. Um, people who may not understand God's word and God's truth, we have to show grace to them. You know, in the past, the letters LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual, got all the attention, right? But today, the letter T is what's getting the attention in our world today, and that is the letter that stands for transgender. And I certainly never saw this coming. I don't think very many of us did, uh, seeing it down the road, feeling that it was pretty obvious the difference between a man and a woman. But Obviously, things have changed quite a bit in our world today. And so, to kind of demonstrate that, I want to show you a video. This is not a Christian video. It's, very, it's pretty short, but it kind of gives you a perspective of where the world is today on this issue. This was produced by CBS, so it's, it's pretty short. There's a certain palatable transgender person who has been put forth in the media. Transgender doesn't look just like one thing. There is more than just boys, girls, men, women. There could be people who live in the spaces between that. In the 70s and the 80s, we didn't have language for that. We just kind of got lost. I identify as a gender. I identify as gender fluid. I identify as gender queer. The older I get, the more I just identify with being non-binary. I feel like I've been running and running and running from gender all my life, and like this is as far away as I can get. People think that the word transgender just means oh, switching genders or transforming. It's much more than that. There are men and there are women. I am neither of those things. All right, so that's kind of where the world is thinking today. So how do we 
How do we respond to that? And several questions come up. What does it mean to be male or female? Uh, Do you have to be one or the other? Can a man act feminine or a woman act masculine? Can somebody be born in the wrong body or have the soul of another sex? How, how do you deal with a child who says that they, should, they think they should be a different sex? And why in the world is that becoming so common today? It's multiplied like 5,000 times in the last few years. What about those who are intersex and those who may have the organs of both a male and a female? Should a Christian ever transition medically? And if not, how do they handle the internal conflict that they may have? What does it mean to identify as a sex other than your birth sex? How does mental health play into all this confusion? A lot of questions, right? A lot of tough and confusing questions out there for sure. And many of you know me, I'm not an expert in this field, all right? So let me say up front that I, I, I don't have a degree in this or anything, but I do understand God's Word pretty clearly, and I think there's some truth that's to be found there. And I think we need to talk about these questions because they're very much a part of our culture, very much a part of our conversation today, and there are answers. And let me say this, there will be pushback or conflict because when, when people say there's a culture war, there is a culture war. It is a very real, tangible thing that is in our world today. So understand there's going to be a lot of disagreement and pretty violent disagreement sometime. There are answers though. There are answers from real science and there are answers, more importantly, from God, the one who made us. And so we're going to be looking at both of those today, especially science and scripture as well and how they come into a connection together and how, they, how the culture uh, looks at those two things as well. And I'm going to lean heavily in this series on a series of messages by a guy named James Emery White who is a pastor and a writer who addresses the current culture a lot smarter than I am, uh, talking about how Christians should respond to this. We're going to spend three weeks on the series. Today, I'm going to talk about sex and gender. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about transgenderism and gender dysphoria. And then the last week, we're going to look at the challenge of parenting through all this. How does a parent deal with this? How do you address it with your children when they see people who are transgender? Uh, How do you uh, address it with your kids who may have questions about their own gender and their own struggle, and, and, uh, and how do we deal with this, helping ourselves and them develop a theology of, gen- of gender. And overall, for, even if you don't have kids, how, we ask the question, how do we as Christians respond to all this that the world is forcing upon us? Because that's how it feels, you know? It's not like it's just being offered, it feels like it's being forced on us. And I want to be, honestly, as compassionate as possible because I know that we have people in our church and certainly in our listening audience who struggle with this or may have family members who do so. And I'm not going to bash anybody. That's not, I don't think that's what what I'm called to do, Uh, but I'm going to try to openly deal with what is oftentimes hidden. And I want to say up front that if you struggle with all of this, you need to know that God loves you. You need to know that God cares about you, that I love you, we as a church love you, but loving you doesn't mean that we always condone everything that is not condoned by God. And so as Christians, we have to just speak truth. I want to find truth, hopefully answer some questions, and allow God to speak to us uh, through this and hopefully find some healing and some hope and some help through it. Now, for those of us who don't deal with this personally, you know, maybe you've already got your mind made up about something, and, and hopefully I'll challenge you a little bit, all right? Uh, and, but in, in the process, I want to avoid two extremes. 
And the first extreme that we might have is to become alarmed and angry and defiant and push back and just mad about the whole thing and lash out at people who are transgender who struggle with this. This is how the church should not respond. I want to say that up front. We should not respond like that. And when we do, we're wrong. When we go to all truth and no grace and no love, then, then we're wrong. Jesus was full of grace and truth. So we find the balance in that. We can have the truth and not have love. And, and we are called to love everyone regardless of how we may perceive them. And in fact, many people, even those who were raised in the church, walk away from God in times like this because they did not feel the love of God when they are hurting the most. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, though, is becoming much more common, and that is to abandon truth and abandon science and abandon everything that you know to be true and just affirm people because you love them and you want to show love. You're just a lover and you're not a thinker. We have to be honest about this. We have to have truth in the mix as well as grace and love. We need empathy and knowledge in order to love and truly help people. So let's jump into this. Let's start by defining some words that are out there today, some words that are very simple. The word sex, the word gender, and then talk about two phrases, gender roles and gender identity, because we're hearing those all the time. So let's let's define the first word, sex. What What makes a person biologically a male or female? What is it that determines your sex? Our reproductive structures are different based on whether we're male or female. That's not rocket science or, or new news to you, I'm sure. The sex of a baby is determined by its chromosome makeup at conception. You know, the Bible says that God knows us and created us and made us in the womb, and God made us male and female. We'll read that in just a few moments. But an embryo in the womb at conception, it's, it's determined whether it will be a male or female. An embryo with two X chromosomes will become a girl while an embryo with an XY combination will become a boy. So boys have always got to be different, right? We got to have the, the Y chromosome. That's what makes us guys. And this is accepted science. This is indisputable. We've known this forever and forever, and, and these things don't change, really. Now, there are rare cases of someone being born intersex with atypical features. But even in those cases, 99.98% are still biologically male or female. The chromosomes are still in order. Someone is biologically male or female based on four things, basically, their internal reproductive organs, the external sexual anatomy, the endocrine systems that produce hormones, either estrogen or testosterone, and fourthly, the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. That's pretty cut and dry, science, as as to what makes a person biologically male or female. It's established, it's objective, it's scientific facts. There is no in-between, and there is no third option. Sex itself is not socially constructed or truthfully debated. It is debated, but it's not truthfully, honestly debatable. It really isn't in in our world. There are at least, there's a lot of difference between men and women. There are at least 6,500 genetic differences between a man and a woman, and nothing can change that. It is what it is. That's what science says. Now, there's another word that's used today, and that's the word gender. In fact, the word gender is used probably more than the word sex anymore, right? Historically and honestly, sex and gender are the same thing. But today, the idea is that gender can be separated from sex 
biological sex, and it has to do with the psychological, the social and cultural aspects of being male or female. And that's how it's used today. And there are two terms that, that kind of relate to that. One of them is gender role, and the other is gender identity. So the, the phrase gender role describes the social and cultural aspects of being a male or female, and they're oftentimes, they have become stereotypes. For example, boys are considered to be more aggressive, more rough and tumble in their play. They prefer play over talking and, and playing house. They prefer blue over pink. They're taller, typically stronger, and they're more aggressive than women. They prefer to work outside rather than inside, and so on and on. These, many of these are stereotypes, but we know that these things aren't always true, right? In fact, our culture has changed quite a bit in that many of these are not true, you know, with the changing uh, technology and everything else. A lot of guys don't enjoy the outdoors, you know, they'd rather be inside, they'd rather be tech, you know, working on tech or something like that. So these stereotypes are different. Some girls as well are rough and tumble, they don't like pink. Uh, They're aggressive in, in nature, they take the initiative, they don't like to cook, they don't like to clean, they don't wear frilly dresses. Things have changed a lot in our culture in gender roles. And they may say their gender is different from their biological sex and mean they don't fit in the stereotypes that a lot of people think of are female. And same thing is true about guys as well. They may enjoy things normally associated with females uh, that would, the stereotypes would be broken. All that's fine. It really is fine. I, you know, maybe you have personal opinions about what girls ought to do and boys ought to do, but their gender roles uh, aren't really the issue there. What the issue is gender identity. And that's the issue that really, really comes up and makes a difference. Gender identity has to do with the psychological aspects of being male or female, how someone sees themselves. So in the last few years, the, the term transgender has become the way to express how someone has the internal conflict between their biological sex and their gender role, or more, more importantly, their identity. Leading to the idea that you can change your gender despite your biological sex. Basically believing that gender is a cultural thing that can override a person's biological sex. And this concept actually leads people to either subtly or sometimes dramatically change their gender identity, including their body, and is leading a segment of our culture to adopt this concept completely. Like this is this can be done, that this is true, that a man can become a woman. And you know what? It's impacting all of our society, all of our society like you would never expect something would, or I never would expect something would. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of victims, a lot of victims. For example, Mr. Potato Head. Now, you probably heard about this story, right? When you were a kid, you probably had a Mr. Potato Head. You put the parts on them and everything like that. Well, a few months ago, Mr. Potato Head was announced that he would no longer be sold. Now it's just Potato Head. Take away the Mr. The maker of Potato Head, Hasbro Toys, was applauded for creating a gender-neutral toy to create greater diversity and inclusion in toys and media to kids. So the goal is to encourage children to downplay the pressure to traditional gender roles and norms and encourage children to be more open to their own and, and own gender neutrality. So Mr. Potato Head is gone. Now, probably someday it'll be worth something if you have one of those, but, but they're gone today. 
Now, you know, and that's a simple but subtle, subtle but, uh, but important change, you know, in the way that our culture is thinking today. Now, it's true that everybody doesn't have to conform to gender roles, but there's danger in the approval of gender identity being different than biological sex. There's a real danger in that. For many of us who don't struggle with this issue personally, it really is kind of a no-brainer. And, and a lot of us are going, I don't see what the big deal is, but we don't struggle with that as well. It really, it's not a big deal. We don't think about it the way, but our culture has given permission and even encouragement for those who may struggle to essentially make up countless definitions of their sexuality. I was just reading a few of them the other day. Asexual, autosexual, bisexual, demisexual, gay, lesbian, multisexual, pansexual, polysexual, queer. It's endless. It's confusing. I have, I have no idea what all those terms mean. I think they just mean different things to different people. Now, that's what the world is saying about it. We looked at science. We looked a little, little bit at what the world says. What does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about this? Because we believe the Bible is the ultimate authority of all truth. So what does the Bible say? Well, there's no mention of the word transsexual in the Bible, or it's transgender as well. But the Bible speaks loudly on it. The Bible is not silent on this. You know, oftentimes people try to excuse their sin by saying that the Bible is silent on an issue. The Bible doesn't say anything about that, so it must be okay, right? But in reality, the Bible doesn't try to identify every counterfeit thought or philosophy out there as much as it does just identifies the genuine. And you've probably heard me say this before, but whenever they're teaching people to identify and spot counterfeit bills, they don't tell you every way you can counterfeit a bill because people are always coming up with new ideas. They teach them what a genuine dollar bill looks like. And then once you know the genuine, then everything else is obviously counterfeit. So that's what the Bible does. So, you know, things that we have in our world today uh, and, the, and the terms that we use were not around in Jesus' day. And so he didn't, you know, specifically condemn certain things, but he does tell us what the real deal is, what's genuine. So what does the Bible say? What does it say about this, about sexuality? Well, first of all, it says that we are sexual beings. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So what do we learn from this scripture and other scriptures as well about sexuality? Just a couple real clear things. First of all, is that God deliberately made us a race of two sexes, male and female. No more, no less, two, male and female, for a good reason. It's not just how you feel about something, which is where gender identity comes from, but it's how and who you were made to be. We were made in the image of God. We were made either male or female, which describes biological sex, not gender roles or gender identity. The next verse then commands man and woman to go and procreate, to, have a, to marry, have sex, and have children. That's why God made us opposites, and we're grateful for that, right? God said, go now, procreate, multiply, and fill the earth. So we were made to do what God planned that he would have a family, that he would have a world. So God made us either male or female. 
Secondly, whenever in the Bible, whenever a man presented himself as a woman or a woman presents herself as a man, the Bible firmly denounces that it's wrong. It is wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 22, a woman must not wear men's clothing nor a man wear woman's clothing for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Now, obviously, over time, men and women's clothing has changed. I don't know exactly what it was like in Bible times, but all the pictures you see, men and women pretty much dressed alike. You know, the men, they both had the long robes on. And over time, the roles, uh, you know, or clothing began to change. Men would wear pants. For many, many years, women didn't wear pants. And that's kind of changed, and I think that's okay. You know, it's one of those gender role things that has happened, and gender um, uh, clothing has changed. But this timeless principle comes out is that if you are cross-dressing, if you're trying to present yourself as someone of the opposite sex, it is detestable to God. That's what God is saying. It's not just the clothing. You know, today we got shirts, we got pants. It's pretty much common. But there's a difference, the difference in trying to present yourself as something that you're not. And the reason is that it violates the created order and the image of God the holy image of God that we were made in. We need to be proud of our sexuality and our individually. Men, we ought to be proud that we're men. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed that we're men, and women, you certainly shouldn't be ashamed that you're a woman. And we need to to honor that because we're made in the image of God. You were created for that. Now, also, along this line, this includes homosexuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, or do you not know that the wrongdoers will, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, you know, people say the Bible's fuzzy on it. It really isn't. It's, it's really pretty simple and pretty clear. And here Paul identifies three specific examples of sexual sin where that person will not be in heaven is what he was saying. First of all is adultery. Secondly, male prostitution. And thirdly, homosexuality. And let me just say this. Sometimes the church is accused of going a little light on adultery and condemning homosexuality more. But adultery, and that is sex outside of marriage, is just as wrong as homosexuality. Let's not sugarcoat that. Let's not soften it. It's just as wrong. And obviously, Paul says both of them are equally wrong here. And then the, the, the Greek word that Paul uses for men who have sex with men means those who act or identify as women. And it would be like the temple prostitutes, the people, uh, the men who would, would prostitute themselves to other men for money or as a part of their worship. And the reason that Paul condemns that is because it goes against the created intent of God when he made us male and female. Romans chapter 1 goes further, God gave them over to shameful lust, even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Notice the language, they exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. For someone to present themselves as a different sex, to engage in sexual relationships with someone of the same sex is a great offense to our Creator. And I know that that, man, that pushes against our culture, and nobody wants to, in our culture wants to hear that, but the culture is wrong. 
It's not the first time. It won't be the last time. The culture is wrong. Science says that our sex and gender is biological. Scripture says that our sex and gender is biological. Culture says it's how you feel or identify. Science and Scripture are together. Culture sideways. And we got to recognize that and just stand up against it. It doesn't mean we hate culture or anything else. It's just we cannot fold to it. And we can't be pushed into a corner. We just got to say it is what it is, you know? And so a lot of people are recognizing it. there is a dangerous and anti-scientific trend toward the outright denial of biological sex, denying that it even exists. You can fabricate it, be whatever you want. And if you don't go along with the trend, you're going to be canceled. Well, that's a horrible thing to be canceled in our world today. But if you speak out against this, you're going to be canceled. Let me tell you about a guy named Richard Dawkins. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a prominent evolutionary biologist and professor at the University of Oxford. So he's a pretty intelligent guy, but he's an atheist. In fact, he's best known for his atheistic views and debates. He debates Christians, and uh, he, he just is committed to his atheism. But 25 years ago, he received the Humanist of the Year Award. He's been a hero of the liberal left for many, many years until, maybe you read this, he spoke out against um, about sex and was accused of uh, demeaning marginalized groups. Now, what in the world did he say? Could he have possibly said that Jesus was a son of God and was real? No, it's much, much worse than that, to be honest with you. His sin was stating that a person cannot change their biological sex. Here is a biologist, the University of Oxford, pretty smart, and he states the obvious that a person can't change their biological sex, and for that, he's canceled. He's kicked out. The Humanist Award's taken away from him and everything. But he believes that transgender ideologies are fraudulent and that one sex is determined by their chromosomes. He's wrong about God, but he's right about this. He's right about this. It doesn't matter how much people say something, it doesn't make it so. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of a story I heard a long time ago, and I don't know if you've heard this story growing up or not, but the story about an emperor who loved fancy clothes. And uh, so he, had, uh, he, he was always trying to buy the fanciest clothes, but he had a couple of swindlers came into town that told him that they were uh, uh, seamstress, seamsters, I guess, and uh, that they could create the greatest clothing in the world, but it would cost a lot of money. And so he said, money's not an issue. And he gave them all the gold. He gave them all the silk thread that they had. They stuck it in their backpack, and they set to work making these clothes. But they said, oh, let me tell you this, that the clothes will be invisible to everyone who is ignorant and unfit for their job. So if you're ignorant and dumb, you won't see the clothes, but everybody who's smart and intelligent will. And so they worked on these clothes forever, and finally they presented them to the emperor, and, and they showed him, and he didn't want to admit that he was ignorant and dumb, so he just agreed with them and said, oh, the, yeah, they're, they're beautiful. And so he put them on, and all of his attendants, they didn't want to appear to be ignorant and stupid and dumb and unfit for their job, so they agreed and admired them and talked about how great they were. And he's walking down the street with invisible clothing on it. Meanwhile, the swindlers are gone out of town. But he's walking downtown in a parade naked. And everybody's going, oh, they're beautiful clothes, beautiful clothes. Read the story. I went back and read it. It's an amazing story. And finally, the little kid goes, mommy, the emperor is naked. 
And she goes, shh, you know? But they said, no, it really is true. And finally, everybody else began to realize that the emperor was naked. Now, I'll tell you that story because all the sex identities are kind of like the emperor's new clothes. They're only there because somebody imagines them. They're only there because they're creating them, because they're defining themselves in that way. You can't change your biological sex. No matter how much you change your body or your appearance, you are who you are, who you were made to be. And it really is just the emperor's clothes story that our world's trying to convince us that if we were smart and if we were, you know, hip and with it, we would agree. It's true and it's not true. And it never will be. And one day, people will wake up and realize that. One day. You know, I've got, I'm going to share with you in the next couple of weeks some amazing stories of people who've been through this. And they tell their story about it and where they are in this point in their life. And one day this will catch up, unfortunately. But after so much carnage has happened. Let me tell you a story of, that happened, uh, something that began in 1966. Identical twin boys were born. They were identical. And in the, the process of their birth and everything, they were circumcised. But one of them was botched so severely that a leading sex psychologist at John Hopkins University convinced the parents to go ahead and castrate their son and raise him as a girl. And they did that. They performed plastic surgery. They gave him female steroids to mimic female growth and feminization, and they named him Brenda. This was in 66, so this was a long time ago. So the case at that time was touted as proof that gender was flexible and that being a male or female uh, was a product of social learning. Whatever you just told your kid and however you treat them, that's how they would grow up and conditioning and that you could change a person's biological sex. And so they were so thrilled that they had done this and discovered this and how successful it was. Papers and articles were written about Brenda, but they didn't follow up with Brenda. In the early 1990s, researchers decided to see where Brenda was only to discover that Brenda was now David. And David was married to a woman. He was the adoptive father of three children, and he worked in a slaughterhouse. So at the age of 14 or so, Brenda had to acknowledge that she had always felt like a boy, that hated dresses. She used her jump rope to tie up or whip other kids with, like a boy would do, and in fact had even been attracted to the Rockettes. This is in the 60s again, remember. And finally, the parents had to admit what had happened, and Brenda became David. When, when this news came out, John Hopkins University discovered this. First of all, they stopped all their sex change operations, and they went back and they found 25 other cases of people ages 5 to 16 whose boy, where boys were raised as girls. And in every case, the child inhibited excuse me, exhibited the rough and tumble play more characteristic of boys rather than girls. And in fact, 14 of the 25 had already declared themselves to be boys against everything that they had been raised to know and be. See, sexuality is not something that we choose or prefer. It's not something that we just say that we are. It's hardwired into our being and into our makeup because God made us male or female. Now, I, I don't know, I know that doesn't answer all the questions that are out there. I mean, after all, our time is up today. And uh, I, I do want to talk about this more. Today was just kind of setting a baseline about what sex and gender are. 
I do believe in this study, we will discover that what is now called gender dysphoria is very real. I think there are people uh, who have a body that they don't identify with. But what do you do about that? And how are we to think of them? And why are there so many young, children, young people today feeling this way? I think there's a really good reason why there are so many young people, especially young girls, who are feeling this way today. And we'll talk about that next week. What do you as a parent do when you're faced with these type of situations? How does the church need to respond to this crisis that we're seeing? Well, I hope you'll stay tuned and come back and, and hear more about it because I think God's word is very plain and truthful about this. But for now, let me just say this. Know that you are wonderfully made in the image of God. That God loves you as he has made you. God has a plan for your life. Know that sin has broken us and we're all in need of God's mercy and grace. In fact, something, a thought that I just had this morning in our time of praying, prayer was that, you know, we are broken in so many ways, but there is only one way to be fixed. Only one way to be fixed, and that's through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to become like that of Jesus Christ. And so our goal is not to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He came to condemn sin, but he came to save the world and redeem people. And we need to seek truth and ask God to help us live by it personally and along the way to encourage and help those who are seeking honestly to find truth through his word. So we're going to talk about stories of people who were misled, who found truth, who found Jesus, who were set free and handled their dysphoria or their struggle in a way that honored God. And that's what our goal is through all of this. So I hope you come back and share with us next week as we move a little bit further in our discussion. But let me just say this today, first of all, that we can't do any of this without Jesus. In our humanness, we are lost and broken, and only he can give us truth. Only he can set us free from whatever is struggling we're struggling with in our life.